I really like the image of the church as a hospital where we go to heal the sin-sick soul. I guess it works that the church can be a laundromat to clean that which is dirty. And certainly the church, as we are understanding it, can, can be a construction zone. One doesn't have to look very far or, or in the fellowship hall or the education building to see that we are indeed under, under renovation. It's such a wonderful metaphor for our lives and for our hearts. And I think it's important. It's a central part of today's message and for this entire series where we're praying two very uh, specific words, revive us, revive us. Last year was so deflating that we need to be inflated with the breath of God to stay aligned with mission and with vision and with our purpose. One component of that is to reaffirm the vows and the promise at our baptism, to reclaim as Nathaniel did, truly you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, Messiah. And then to respond when the call goes out to meet a need and to change a life. Those are all key components to experience revival in our lives. Today we're focusing on a very important word, redemption, redeem as in value, what does that mean to be redeemed? Our gospel comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. It is the gospel reading for the day. We will spend the remainder of this year in Mark's gospel. It's year B in the lectionary series. I invite you, as you're able to stand, for the reading of today's gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, Listen for the word of the Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and began teaching. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. But just then, in the synagogue, was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of my favorite things to do as a young child growing up, if ever I was around a railroad track, was to take a penny place it in the middle of, of that track, because you know what was coming next. The train would, would come by, and sometimes I would place my ear close to the track, and if the train were close, you could, you could feel it. You could sense it before it arrived. And on a hot day, the haze would rise from the tracks, and you could see the light beginning to poke through from that Amtrak train. And, and sure enough, it would come into the station or it would come past the crossing and it would, 
it would flatten out, very abruptly flatten out that penny that I placed on the track. Well, I also remember as a young boy a coin that I saw that belonged to my grandfather. He carried it in his pocket every day of his life. It was a silver dollar from around, I don't know, the turn of the 20th century. Only, you could only tell it was a silver dollar because they told me it was. He had placed it in his pockets and removed it from his pockets and placed it on the bedside and, and rubbed it while he was walking and in thought or traveling from point A to point B. So long, for so many years, that there was no Lady Liberty on one side nor Eagle on the other. Just like with the penny, there was no image of President Lincoln nor the Lincoln Memorial. There was no In God We Trust. All of the images that had been originally stamped on those two coins were either abruptly or slowly worn away. The images were gone. The value changed of those two coins. Sure, they were pretty much silver and pretty much copper. They had some value, but not as much transferable value <clears throat> had those images remained on them. I've thought about that a lot as a set of metaphors for life that we begin as this, this raw material and we are stamped with the divine image of God in our lives. We affirm it in our baptism. We affirm it and reaffirm it in our membership vows that God is doing something restorative and redemptive in our lives. But we all know that the freight trains of grief or loss or trials or bullying, unemployment, those trains come along and they just flatten us out and when we pick up that coin of our life, we see very little of God's image, maybe even very little value in ourselves. On other occasions, maybe because of the decisions we make, how we turn our back on God and how we treat one another, very slowly God's image begins to wear off in our lives and we wake up one day and we say, where was that image of God that was so prominent? How have I strayed so far from that divine mint that struck me with grace upon grace? I, I suppose one might decide that there are two interruptions in today's story from Mark's gospel. One is a man with a clean spirit and he teaches with a new style and with authority. The other man is a man with an unclean spirit who is loud and draws attention to himself. But it's the religious leaders, if you notice in the story, who are not taken aback by this nameless man with an unclean spirit. So I, I doubt if his uncleanliness had anything at all to do with what people saw. The erosion of value, the erosion in this man's life was something different. The image, the sense of self-worth were gone. The attention 
of these religious leaders, rightfully so, is on Jesus. Because his presence in the synagogue fills up the whole room, but his power begins feeling, filling up every heart that is present. And it's curious to me that it's a man with an unclean spirit who has such audacity to speak to Jesus. The person who needs a clean spirit is the one who sees the real Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who sees the real man behind his unclean spirit. It's as if Mark is trying to tell us that in Jesus' presence, there is power that draws forth that which is unclean. If we're willing to see who Jesus is and to claim who he says he is. And it stings a little bit for us clergy because it's, it's the man with the unclean spirit who recognizes Jesus not the ones in the stoles. Ouch. But Mark's gospel works that way. If you want to engage in a very unique Bible study with your small group or your Sunday school class, spend some time in Mark and do this. Follow the path of the disciples and see where they lead you, and then follow the path of the people who are marginalized, ostracized, um, those who are down on their luck, those who are demon-possessed, those who are unclean, all the people that are labeled by this world and the religious institutions as the wrong people. So follow those two groups in the Gospel of Mark, and the disciples, they're going to make you take a right turn, and you're going to run smack into a wall, not into Jesus. But all of, those, all of those unexpected people, they lead us right to Jesus Christ. Today's text, today's text is one of those very cases. And honestly, this is where the depth of Mark's fast-paced gospel should grab us by the ear and, and pull us and say, listen up, I have something to tell you. You see, the one with the unclean spirit is in many ways representative of, of all of us, of every person in the synagogue so many years ago, of every person in worship today, of, of every person since. His uncleanliness is not about hygiene or his teeth or his hair or his manners or, or any of the labels that, that we would attach to him because someone just decided to name this text the man with the unclean spirit. When you read uh, that in your Bibles today, you read that as a section title, the man with the unclean spirit. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear unclean or unclean spirit? I prefer to call it the man who spoke up when no one else would. We have to overcome such titles. And hear these words for ourselves. This man represents us all because his uncleanliness is a matter of the soul. It's a matter of fragility, of brokenness, of fragmented relationships with God and, and with others. The man with the unclean spirit asks two questions that I want us to sit with today, the first of which says, what would you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Think of it this way. What would you over there have with us over here? As if to say, there's, there's a big chasm, a distance between us and you, Jesus. What would you have with us? Don't you imagine Jesus thinking to himself, oh, my child, my precious child, you have been flattened by so many of life's locomotives that you no longer can see God's image in your life and how valuable you are to God. So when he asks, what would you have with us? I tend to think Jesus' presence there says, I have everything with you, everything to do with you. And I get that. We get that. We feel distanced from God, disconnected we, from our church, so far removed from our, our supper club and our friends and our Sunday school classes. And anything that resembles authentic community right now and things like grief or the isms or the phobias, they run over us like a train that cannot be stopped so much that we feel so flattened and the image of God at work in our lives can be so difficult to distinguish. And any value that we think we have or think we should have, it just seems so lost right now because the image of God is it, it, distorted. Or, and when that happens, so many emotions and personalities, might we dare say unclean spirits are, are manifest by the masks that we wear to protect ourselves from truly finding the power and presence of the very one who came to redeem our story. Unclean spirits, they take possession of our, our minds and our hearts and, and our souls. But Jesus comes to stand in, in front of us to say to all of those unclean ways, come forward and be cast out. So the man says, what would you have with us, Jesus? To which the work that Jesus performs answers saying, no longer will you be cut off. No longer will you be flattened. No longer will you be image-less because today is a new day, a new start, and you have value. There's another element to this story related to how we treat ourselves and how we treat others who are struggling in life. And the idea is that we spend enormous amounts of time uh, projecting ideas or images about how we think others should treat us or how we treat others exhausts a lot of our times. And one preacher says it like this. At some level, we all project various personas and images of how we want others to see us and how we want to see ourselves. Sometimes it's simple, maybe even silly, as saying things like, I can't go to the grocery store looking like this. My, I don't have on makeup, and my hair is quite a mess. Or we smile when someone says, how are you doing? And we say, oh, we're just fine. How are you? We change the subject when the truth is we're hanging on by a thread and not sure how we'll get through the rest of the day. We, we don't want anyone to see us in this unmade-up condition. 
And so we use our personas and our masks to hide the truth of what life is actually like. And we also hide the truth of what we might become. If an unclean spirit in Jesus' day was something that cut one off from God and from others and from self, then we have to ask ourselves, what are those unclean spirits in today's world, some of which are blatantly obvious? Addictions to money, sex, power, thrills, pills. But some of the unclean spirits behind which we hide are more subtle, like constantly comparing ourselves to others or consumerism, or as Ben mentioned in his prayer, worry can rob a soul of its life. Bitterness, and rage, and guilt, and shame, we take those flattened coins of our lives and we work so hard trying to restamp an image, any image, any image back on there to restore ourselves. But the problem is that image will always be flawed because we're flawed. There's only one image that every person needs in her or his life, and that is the redeemed image of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's ironic that all of the recent cultural statistics, all the polls out there in church world and everywhere else are telling us that people are deeply longing for connection and authentic relationships. We want to be found. We just don't want to be found out. <laughs> and we put forth the best possible self for the rest of that day, hoping no one will notice, but hoping someone will notice. What would you have with us, Jesus? The second question he asked is, do you come to destroy us? Now, isn't that a doozy? The answer is absolutely. That's precisely what Jesus came to do. This is a calling forth and a casting out story because it's the same side, it's different sides of the same coin. Call forth that which needs to be cleaned and then cast it out so that the person has value and a restored image of purpose and grace at work once again. And that's why I spend so much time inviting us to inhale faith and exhale fear and to inhale hope and exhale hate and to inhale peace and exhale pride because we can't have one without the other. Have you come to destroy us? Yes, but only the false parts of ourselves, the masks behind which we hide, the unclean spirits that prevent us from being who God created us to be and seeing the image of Christ that is at work in every single one of our lives. Whatever we do to cover that up, it's got to go away if we're going to experience revival. So how does Jesus answer that question? It's very simple. He says, shh, come out of him. That's my child. This is not who he's meant to be. He belongs to me, and I will redeem his story.
It's really uncanny how God is at work right now in the life of our church, and certainly, I think, through this entire sermon series, uh, leading up to last week's sermon about call and response, those two calls about feeding students on Dexter Avenue and assisting frontline workers through energy bars and, and nourishment, they came forward. The call went out and you responded. Well, I bet you didn't have any idea that you would assist in the preaching of today's sermon, but you have. I received a letter this week. I've been waiting to share it with you. It's from uh, John Bowman, who is with Hope Inspired Ministries. And John Bowman sent a letter to this church this week, and he said, because of your generosity, more than 133 individuals were able to graduate Hope Inspired Ministries in 2020. That's 133 lives that are now sufficient because of the work and the ministry of First United Methodist Church with Hope Inspired. These 133 individuals have not only entered the workforce, but they're now sharing with their friends and their family the way that God has redeemed their story. Now that's good news. 133 human beings who were chronically unemployed, who very slowly, for whom very slowly the, the image of worth and purpose and even relationship was beginning to wear off until they were just flattened by it. They woke up one day and said, I gotta do something different. And because of our generosity as a church and the work of Hope Inspired Ministries, they have seen that Christ is always redeeming and stamping and saying, you have value. If I can number the stars, I can call you by name and I can give you a new story and a new start. So I want to encourage you this week to do two things. I want to encourage you to ask these two questions. You may want to write them down or type them in your phone, whether you're here or joining with us online. And that is, what would you have with us, Lord? What would you have with our family? What would you have with our small group? What would you have with our church? And then ask the question that's, that's more probing. Do you really want to destroy? Is that what you came to do, Jesus? Yes, to redeem, to destroy that which is causing a loss of value and purpose in your life, and then to give it right back to you. I want to pray as we take on this challenge. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you that you are constantly in work to revive us, to breathe life into us, and to restore in us the image that is lost because of our waywardness, our wantonness, or because we've been flattened by so much about life, but grace will not stop. Jesus Christ continues to come to say, you are mine. You are of value. Be redeemed. Lord, help us to take that message and that good news out into the world. The way we change the world is one life at a time. May it begin today. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.